and some players took injections to ensure their participation in matches. You're listening to the news on RTHK. I'm Dr. Emma Nam. The pandemic is surging with more contagious mutant strains. The elderly are at the highest risk if a new wave comes. Scientific data shows that those with stable health can receive COVID-19 vaccines. Take your elderly relatives to get the jab at community vaccination centers, designated general outpatient clinics, elderly health centers, private clinics, or hospital COVID-19 vaccination stations, or opt for the home vaccination service. Welcome to today's Week on 3 with me, Christy Lai. Hope you're all having a wonderful day so far. Tuesday was Valentine's Day. Whether you're single, happily married, or in a steady relationship, I hope you enjoyed a day filled with love and romance. Did you know that the story behind the festival was quite a gruesome one? Rumor has it that a Roman Catholic priest, St. Valentine, defied an emperor's orders and secretly married couples especially soldiers, as the emperor at the time thought single men were more devoted fighters. To commemorate his death, February 14 was deemed a day to celebrate love and romance. In recent years, the festival has sort of taken a different turn. Instead of celebrating one's love towards another, some may have viewed it as a day to promote consumerism. On Tuesday's back chat, Jim Gould and Ada Wong took a look in a recent survey about why young people have lost interest in celebrating this day. I'm not really surprised by these results. Mm. Okay. <laughs> uh, even though it's a little bit um, maybe counterintuitive that the younger generation will not take on all the traditional, um, let's say, patterns of behavior when it comes to dating and courtship, I think uh, there is also a desire for the younger generation to make up their own mating rituals. So if we think of the idea of Valentine's Day and the traditional approach to Valentine's Day, chocolate flowers, uh, restaurant, expensive dinners as signs to show love, I think these days as the millennials and people born in the 90s spend a lot more time online, they are creating new mating rituals. So in that respect, I don't uh, feel it's a major surprise. Mm. So they, they think Valentine's Day is a bit old-fashioned? In a way, yes. Um, and also, I think younger people prefer to, um, let's say, invent new rules or new ways of, uh, of showing their, their affection. I think, obviously, it has something to do with the financial uh, situation, like how much money do you have? And do you really want to celebrate uh, a certain holiday that, to all in, most invents and purchases, has been quite commercialized? Right, and, and, and do you think that uh, Valentine's Day is actually too commercialized and you do need a lot of money because roses are very expensive today? And so, um, and I think the people in a, in a more stable relationship uh, would celebrate and go out for dinner while those younger ones have other rituals, as you say. 
Yeah, I think um, I feel there's a little bit of a pressure, and people feel pressured to book that restaurant. To there's so much communication, so much marketing around this idea. If you walked around town in the last few days, you would have noticed that florists were invading pavements, preparing these huge bunches of flowers. And just as you said, they are not cheap for something that will disappear in a few days. Um, so I would say that the more traditional couples would do it just because it's part of the routine and it's, uh, let's say, an accepted way of, uh, of showing their love. They think, okay, I've done my, you know, tick this box if I take my partner out or if I do something special on Valentine's Day, it's a sign of reassurance. Um, but I feel that, you know, I am a firm believer that you should show your love for your partner every day, not just on Valentine's Day. Um, and there are these days, uh, I guess people maybe get a little bit less materialistic and they feel that different kinds of love that cost less money will have more impact. Right. You just said that um, the millennials, they have their own um, dating rituals. Can you tell us a bit about that? I think there is a lot to do with experiences. Um, obviously, gifts are an easy shortcut to showing someone you love, and it is the gift-giving uh, tradition is, is something that is part of our species, showing love, showing the value that we uh, allocate to that particular relationship. But I think especially millennials and, and people who are exposed to all of these uh, social media posts, they like to have more... Um, of an experiential gift, if you like. So they like to spend time together doing something special, so create memories. Um, so I would say that um, based on my experience working with clients, they don't necessarily expect to do the same dinner and flowers, but they do uh, maybe book a staycation or maybe but not necessarily on Valentine's Day when it's very expensive. Um, so people offset the holiday a little bit. Um, they don't necessarily think that it's absolutely a must to celebrate today, but they would still do something around this holiday as a reminder. Of course, it depends what stage of the relationship you're at. If you're in a new relationship and you want to demonstrate that love, you might do something a little bit more dramatic, like a full weekend vacation, or um, you go for uh, a trip or something like that. Maybe people who've been in more established relationships would would go for a hike or something special, would get some chocolate or do a little picnic. So I feel that things are moving more towards those kind of, um, more, more towards quality time, if I am to frame this in the, con in the context of languages of love. Yeah, I mean, flower sellers have been reporting uh, uh, brisk uh, sales. There's all kinds of restaurant promotions uh, going on. So, I mean, clearly, it's still an important occasion for many people, isn't it? But uh, uh, in, in, interesting what you say there, that uh, it depends on the stage of the relationship to, to a large extent, I suppose. <laughs> you know, maybe people who've been together for a long time uh, uh, aren't going to pay it as much attention as, uh, you know, if it's a new relationship. Well, it, like I said, a, a gift, the gift related to Valentine's Day is about showing how much you value your partner. And um, like I said, we've been in a long relationship. A lot of yeah. people take each other for granted quite a lot, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. 
as as a uh, relationship uh, coach, I mean, would you would you advise would you advise people, uh, uh, you know, couples who've been together for a long time to to um, you know maybe try something different, maybe you know uh, experiment with something uh, uh, like uh, you know a, a trip away or or you know what, what do you think? I would say that if you just follow the Valentine's Day ritual. It has be- and you've been with a partner for a long time, it has become routine and gradually the value of this ritual would be diminished for many people. Yes, for some it's important to remember that we have birthdays, we have Christmases, and we have Valentine's Day, but um, I do know for a fact from all the clients that I work with that people want to be appreciated and loved every single day. Um, so the impact of a nice dinner and a bunch of flowers on any other day of the week will actually be bigger, believe it or not, because it's not expected. So if something is done just to fulfill an existing expectation, it doesn't really show uh, forethought, it doesn't show that you're truly um, making this gesture as a result of the fact that you feel it, that you are moved towards showing your partner um, that love and appreciation. If you do it on any other day of the year, it'll probably land better. So if I work, for example, with a a client or a couple, who have been together for a long time and maybe they're feeling a little bit underappreciated and they want to reignite that connection, uh, I would encourage them to identify the languages of love. You know, one person may have a different language of love. It can be spending quality time together, engaging in physical touch a little bit more, like feeling more physically loved, um, uh, doing acts of service, like doing little gestures for your partner or um, giving them a lot more compliments, words of affirmation. So really it depends on how a person likes to uh, feel appreciated. It's not always through um, flowers and, and restaurants. So depending on this, I would um, discuss with my clients what makes the most sense for them, what will they mm-hmm. feel most impressed by. Valentina Tudos, dating and relationship coach, was speaking to Jim Gould and Ada Wong on Backchat. The weather is getting much warmer now. Maybe it's the best time to go out and enjoy some water sports. You may be thinking canoeing, paddleboarding, but no, we're talking about sailing. Well, you see, sailing and windsurfing have quite similar qualities, but windsurfing uses a board that is powered by a sail while sailing uses a boat that is powered by either a sail or an engine. The Hong Kong Race Week 2023 is back after a three-year hiatus, and this time is organized by the Hong Kong Sailing Federation in conjunction with the Royal Hong Kong Yacht Club. More than 236 sailors from 12 countries and regions will be participating in this exciting event. Telling us more about it is Peter Davis, the chairman of the Hong Kong Race, to tell us more about the event and also sailing itself. It's, it's principally small boats, and so the, I, I suppose the invited class is a particular uh, a little keel boat that is designed for one person, uh, for people with physical or, or other disabilities, basically physical disabilities, so they get to race with us as well. So it's, it's, a, it's a whole mixture, but the biggest group is probably the, the kids. Uh, there's about 100 in a very small boat that's used all around the world called an Optimist. Mm. Uh, and the rest are in a couple of other classes. There's a two-person class. is this 29er, which is a kid brother to the Olympic 
49er uh, skiff, which is a very fast and exciting boat. And the there's another about 60 or 70 uh, boats called what used to be called a laser and now called the International Laser Class Association dinghy, which is also an Olympic class. So the boats that we're sailing here are, are a pathway in towards elite athletes to, to, to participate in something like the Asian Games or the Olympics. And this is a is a base level to that as an introduction to what they might get uh, if they could want to stay with the sport uh, and, and, and get up to an elite level. Wow. So this event itself, it must have been a lot of preparation to, to go into it, to hold it, especially with sailors coming from um, other countries well, as well. Yes, and especially with the uncertainties we had as to whether Hong Kong would ever reopen its border or not. So, so we, we st- preparation started probably last July or August uh, when we published a thing called a notice of race, which is basically a, a general invite to people to come and take part. And at the same time, the publicity goes out. We decide what souvenir swag bags we're going to do. And we, we line up the key individuals, the race officers, the jury uh, that's required for it. And, and that's it's sort of slow at the beginning. But in the last sort of six weeks, this is really built into a crescendo as we've got more and more entries from overseas. We have to organize boats for those people from overseas. So we have to go around finding boats they can charter. Uh, there's 70 to 100 volunteers every day running all kinds of things on, on land and on, 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 the, on the water to help run the race. So the volunteer lists have to be built up. We have to find all the safety boats and, and other boats to put the racing marks in. And there's a big preparation of all the little racing marks, radios, and all the other things you might need to run an event basically that's offshore or it's in the, uh, not on the land right exactly and yeah. that that's the thing about sailing right you you're out there in the water you if you need help uh you can't sort of just go i'll just step off and go get some help right well there is a safety plan if you really need help so we have a fast boat that can bring people ashore if, if anything were to go wrong but yes uh, we're we're self-sufficient out there you have to deal with whatever conditions uh, are thrown at you and and that's that's for the individual sailors taking part as well as the, the the race management team that's trying to set up the course so unlike a football pitch which is fixed our our pitch moves to wherever we find the wind and it's also got tides moving it around all the time so yeah quite 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 in- interesting so you, you, there is a race course though i mean it's called a race course so where are this year's race courses like where will the boats be sailing so, like I say, it's a four-day event, uh, and we run three course areas at once. Uh, two of those are the main fleets. Uh, one, uh, one of those is generally off the Potoy Islands, uh, and the other one is generally in Stanley, St. Stephen's side, which is side the Stanley Market is. Uh, and the third lot is the is what we call the Green Fleet, which is a very it's a beginner level for, for big, get the first taste of racing. We'll run that in Repulse Bay. Mm. Now, what is it? Can you describe to us the feel of dinghy racing? I mean, I think some of us have been on, you know, junks and we've been on big boats. But if you've never dinghy raced or raced in a small boat, what does it what does it feel like? Um, well, I've wrote a few words down here. There's a, there's a great sense of freedom. Uh, you're on your own. It's, it's a bit like if you went from a big SUV and then hopped into a sports car or or even a motorbike, and you get this sort of sense of uh, of being very much at one with the elements and very close to the ground sort of thing. And there's a bit, there's, there's a big sense of exhilaration when you're moving fast. Uh, but there's other things is you, you get to master the unexpected because it's an outdoor event. Um, 
there can be elements of survival at times, <laughs> which, <laughs> which, 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 as a, as a as a young kid, that what you perceive as being conditions that you can't survive in, you you, you actually are generally very safe, and it helps the kids sort of learn more about what they themselves can do as individuals and how they can you know, can counter the elements. Some of the classes are more tactical than others, so there some some types of boat the racing is more like a game of chess, whereas mm. other types of boat it's just see how fast you can go in a straight line and see if you can out muscle and, and out finesse you, you, the opposition. Uh, and then there's a sense of teamwork. Uh, not, not so much so in a one person boat, but as you build up through the boats, you master the skills, uh, you get a two person boat, very much a, a team of a, a team, a team sport. And as you go and then you get equipped to go onto bigger boats like your own where, where, where you might have a crew of six or seven people and, Everybody has a job and everybody has to stick to that job and, and in order to make the boat work properly. And that was Peter Davis, the chairman of the Hong Kong race, and he was speaking to Karen Ko on brunch. The event is still going on until Sunday at the Hong Kong Royal Yacht Club's Middle Island facility, which is based on the south side of Hong Kong Island. So be sure to check it out if you're interested. In recent years, there are many social media accounts dedicated to drawing people or slices of life in Hong Kong. One artist in particular, Bonjour Soya Chino, stood out and has more than 1 million views on YouTube and has over 3,000 followers on Instagram. His quick sketches have made people smile and warming the hearts of many. He spoke to Alison Howe on Off Campus about his journey and how he got started in the first place. Well, I would say there are two to three reasons, but the first reason uh, I was being inspired because when I was like in 19 years old uh, and then I cannot find like my life goals, what I'm doing, because during that time I was studying and uh, the subjects that I was studying is are English, but uh, I feel like uh, I'm not good at, you know, teaching or in English. I, don't, I just feel like, oh, maybe it's time to find something to do else to do because I, I lose the motivation because it's very important like everything you wanted to be better yourself you know and you have to have that uh, motivation so I'm just uh, finding that motivation and drawings really uh, helped me uh, you know at that time I feel very down because uh, this is just my life change and I really use uh, drawings to help me express and after that I feel better and I also realize uh, uh, for, with parts of my drawing, I can uh, draw something that I wanted in my mind. So that's how improved it. This is the one first reasons, and the the second reasons that I really uh, love to use these drawings uh, is like as in like filters and to give people's happiness. And this is a very good way to do that, especially because. Uh, Lots of people in like societies today, when they were in their daily life, they were struggling. They were definitely having a lot of good and bad times, and also they are very stressed, mm. especially in the morning because everyone just uh, starting their works from the very beginnings yeah. that day. So that's why you know uh, I was just trying to go at, at that time, and then I was inspired. You know, I can draw, draw him, and maybe he he like it, and then I would just. Uh, let's try, right? Why not? I mean, just showcase some uh, happiness and kindness. And if not, I just go and I respect every decisions that uh, they make. I love 
the fact that you're able to have the courage to not just draw people, but also to give it to them as a gift. I mean, that surprise, yeah. that reaction that you get usually from them is just so heartwarming. Yeah, yeah. We're gonna get to more of your inspirations, how you make these videos throughout the week. But for now, Arthur, I'd love for you to choose some songs for us to play on the show. What's the first song we're gonna play today? Maybe "Can't Stop the Feeling." Nice. It's a very hyper, like positive, and it will make you dance and hope to have a like good vibe to begin your your day. Yeah. You mentioned to us that sometimes you get inspired by just looking at the person that is on the MTR, and then you start drawing them. So getting into that a little bit deeper, how do you find yeah. the right person to draw? Well, that's a really good question. First of all, it's not every time you can find it, to be honest. But when you cannot find, just maybe I would use like my special identity, I, I guess, because yeah, an Asian face, but I can you know speak English and. In Hong Kong, of course, there are people who can do that. But it's really a surprise, you know, when you showcase it to people from different nationalities, and in which they may face with people with uh, ingenerates. I don't know their word. They are from all walks of life, and they may just are like work in their own company, facing with the same people. So mm. when you are doing this, I really just maybe I can approach more like easily, you know, when I do this, like giving the journey to them. So. That's how I do it, you know. <laughs> yeah. How long does it usually take you to finish a drawing and be happy enough to give it to that person? It depends, but usually because they go very fast. Like sometimes you have to do a uh, several times, or even you do other several times, like two or three times, you still cannot get it because they they go so fast. Uh, they live so fast. Yeah. Like just maybe one to two. Uh, stations, and you have to are yeah. yeah, and you're not finished, and then it's so hard to give it to them, you know. So that's why I would just try to you know uh, outlines, you know, some sometimes are very simple shapes, but very sharp detail that can recognize easily, mm. and it can be less than sometimes you know, for me to process that chart and give it to them, yeah. yeah, more quickly. So I would say like 20 minutes. Uh, is the approximate time in which also like the artist in America, he say like uh, 15 to 20 minutes. And I would say, yeah, that's really reasonable. Right. <laughs> uh, because I also like during this time. Um, is this all you do? Do you have a day job? What's the kind of background story of you? Um, like I used to like uh, study English studies, teaching English as a professionals. Yeah, I was in undergraduates. From the universities. After that, I realized, oh, maybe it's time to change, move on, because I wanted something else, my passions. So I started to, you know, do some research, and I find out some uh, online uh, in the overseas market, like maybe some drawings, some portraits, very interesting. Is this my uh, small business and the passive income? And I create some uh, posters, right, and also some stickers. In which they like, yeah. Nice. And then, uh, well, I've, I mainly focus on doing my uh, YouTube uh, channels, like publishing videos in different medias. Yeah. Mm, that's awesome. Now, I think a lot of Hong Kong kids, we can totally relate. Sometimes it is hard for us to speak to our parents about what we want to do, particularly with a career change or after graduation, we got to tell them what we're going to do, where we're going to find a job. How did you convince your parents that you knew what you were doing? Um, yeah, it's a really tough <laughs> decisions, you know, yeah. because everybody is different, the situations. 
my family, there is like two stages for me, you know, to begin something like this. The, the, like the first stage, I was just testing something, uh, maybe, oh, I can try that on YouTube. Um, I, I try, like, maybe some people will like it and I just do it, you know, during this period of, of stage. And I was just, oh, let's go for it. Mm. Let's try, let's do it. Do it the first and totally your personal decisions and nobody can stop you. Sketch artist Bonjour Soya Chino on Off Campus with Allison Howe. And finally, to end today's week on three, I'll have Steve James whisk you away back in time for another Brit Choice Awards throwback. That's it for me. Hope you enjoyed your time with me, Christy Lai. Bye for now. The factories may be roaring with the boom a lack a zoom a lack a wee. But there isn't any roar when the clock strikes four. Everything stops for tea. Oh, they may be playing football and the crowd is yelling, kill the referee. But no matter what the score when the clock strikes four, everything stops for tea. This day, 1974, winners in the UK Music Weekly Disc Readers Awards poll. You, that was the UK Music Weekly Disc Readers Awards poll. Top UK group went to Slade. Top musician, Roy Wood. David Bowie won UK and World Male Singer. Top single with Gene Genie and the album Aladdin Sane. Going with Bowie. Top female singer was Lindsay DePaul. And Brightest Hope was won by David Essex.
Still 